Welcome once again to Devotional, a spiritual resource for daily living. This is Pastor Ariel. We are starting a brand new quarter with a brand new lesson, Oneness in Christ. This is the lesson for Monday, October 1st. This is lesson number three. So, you may be thinking, um, what lesson? <laughs> if you're just tuning in, you may not be understanding what, if you've listened to previous uh, episodes, previous podcasts, you know what I mean when I say the lesson. Um, it's a lesson that we study. Uh, there's four different themes or topics every year, and of course a quarter. So this is for September, October, uh, October, November, December, sorry, we just finished uh, September through the book of Acts. So October, November, December, we're going to be looking at oneness in Christ. And you can have access to these lessons completely for free. Uh, you will find links uh, underneath the description of this podcast where you can click. And immediately, right now, you can have access to it. If you're driving, of course, don't click. Just listen. <laughs> and when you get home, open up the podcast again and click on the links and you'll be led to a web uh, browser. And you can have access immediately to the lesson or you'll be able to download it to your phone or like I said in the other episodes, I believe it's $11 a month, you can subscribe for the hard copy, which is what I have before me. So we're now looking at Monday. We're transitioning from the perfect, harmonious coexistence that we took, looked at yesterday and that bumper sticker. Um, now we're looking at the reality of what we have, what that bumper sticker is in reality. Each of those letters, though they make form one word. In our human experience, just look at the news and you'll see how divided we are. Uh, not just because of or in religious matters, we're just divided, period. Economically, ethnically, etc. Um, we, we have a difficult time coexisting with one another. And Jesus presents himself as the solution. If he, when we look at him being lifted up at the cross, that's what draws us to him and in turn draws us closer to one another. So now we're going to be looking at the consequences of the fall and of course I'm only going to focus tidbits I'm not going to do an exhaustive uh, commentary on the lesson I'm just extracting little things here and there I want to encourage you go ahead there's much more that you can glean from these lessons they are it is super rich um, we're looking at you know one of the manifestations of how sin began to bring fragmentation and division it destroyed that oneness that harmonious oneness that reflected God's character you know, when he said, let us make man in our image, there was that oneness, that harmony, harmonious character of God working with the three Godhead, working together in harmony to create us in their image with that oneness. How does that affect us? Um, I'm going to read Cain. Cain's reaction, however, however, was more directed in violence and, and death at God than at Abel. Cain felt angry towards God. I remember the first time I recognized that. I had been reading the Bible for, you know, maybe a year or so, going over and over, and it dawned on me. All along through my childhood, I thought Cain was angry at his brother. Cain was angry at his brother. But if you read carefully that, that narrative in Genesis chapter 4, Cain is actually angry at God, but he's taken it out on Abel, which goes back to what we looked at Saturday afternoon, right? God wants to restore harmony between us humans by initiating a, a the restoring the unit the unity between us and him. When that is severed, we cannot but be separate from one another. 
So Cain is manifesting the rupture that has that sin has brought between us and God and the repercussions that it has with one another. And though Cain is angry at God, he'll take it out on human being on another human being, namely his brother. So uh, we can, you know, say a lot from that. And all I'm going to say is Ephesians 4.26, right? Um, be angry, but do not sin. Um, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Uh, I'm sure we have heard sermons and read that verse many times. But I think we need to be careful of not reading too much into that verse. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry. Angry is an emotion. It's a reaction. It's a response. And it doesn't have to end up in sin. So I think we need to, first of all, embrace that reality. You and I will get angry. In fact, the Bible says God gets angry. Um, of course, I, he does not get angry over people cutting him off in traffic. That's not the same. He's not provoked the same way we are. Uh, when In the few times that you see you know, Jesus mentioned as having anger in the Gospels, it's specifically you know, when he's at the temple overturning tables. Um, we just read this past Tuesday at a small group that Jesus was angry at the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees when he asked, is it lawful to heal a man's withered hand on the Sabbath or not? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? And the Pharisees would not answer. That made Jesus angry, the hardness of the heart, the choice to resist. But that's necessar not necessarily why we get angry. Our angry anger is self-centered. And even that, you know, it's allowed, per se. Paul doesn't categorize what kind of anger we get to experience. Of course, righteous anger it would be something that I want to experience more and more. I want to hate sin. Uh, I love the sinner, but hate the sin. I want to be ex experience that, that same anger that Jesus had in that temple. He wasn't angry at people. He was angry at what sin had done in them. And he wanted to correct that with passion, with conviction. So get angry. <laughs> it, it, even if it means someone cutting you off, you'll, you'll react with angry, anger. But because of the Holy Spirit, because of the grace of God, you can experience that anger and yet not sin. Having emotions is not necessarily the sin itself, but how we allow those emotions to carry us through, where they lead us to. And so we get angry. And, you know, if you're like me, uh, sometimes angry, anger makes us do or say things that hurt other people. Or other people, because they get angry, will say things to us or do things to us in that anger. How are we supposed to react? Um, someone is angry at you, and so you... Remember that saying that it says, uh, don't get angry, get even? <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Don't get angry, get even. That's that's a, a lie. What that's saying, that's masking revenge. When we say don't get angry, get even is, if you want to paraphrase it in truth, what it's really saying is, uh, you're angry. Don't just stew over what that person has done to you. Don't just lose sleep. Figure out how to hurt them back. Use your energy for that. Now, that's not very Christian. So as Christians, we cannot embrace that belief of don't get angry, get even. That's just saying, use revenge, quench your anger with revenge. And that's definitely 
going against Ephesians 3, uh, 326, 426, uh, be angry and do not sin. So um, what do you do? Get humble. If somebody's angry at you and they have said words that are cutting, words that are hurtful, or done things that are hurtful, don't get angry. Um, well, do get angry, but get humble. I guess that's a, a, a much better way of uh, approaching this emotion. Instead of the, wor the world's way of get angry, get even, use revenge to quench your anger. Um, pretend that you're not. <laughs> the Christian is real. You're angry. Own that. Don't deny it. It's there. But what are you going to do with it? Take it to the Lord. Tell Him why you feel angry. And then say, Lord, give me a heart like yours. Because we just read that Cain was angry at God. And Cain, maybe, I don't know what went through his mind. For me, he's a big bully. He couldn't do something to God. Of course, God's bigger than him. So he takes it out on his little brother. But maybe he's thinking, I really can't get to God directly, but I can get to God by hurting others. Like when Saul was persecuting the church and he was going from house to house and beating people and putting them in jail and hurting them. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? In Acts chapter 9, Jesus doesn't confront Saul by saying, Why are you persecuting my believers? Why are you persecuting my church? Jesus confronts Saul with, Why are you persecuting me? Maybe Cain figured out what Satan knows too. If he can get to us, he can get to God. And so, what Cain may have been doing is trying to somehow take out his anger at God indirectly through Cain. And even though Cain is doing things that hurt God out of anger, God comes and speaks to Cain. God knows Cain is angry at him, and God comes and speaks to him. That sounds like God is modeling exactly what he tells us to do. Matthew chapter 18. Moreover, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him or her his fault between you and him alone. That's Genesis chapter 4. Jesus didn't just tell us what we need to do. He modeled it for, for us from the very beginning. How to achieve oneness? How to achieve reconciliation? You don't have to say, well, because it was not my fault, I need to wait for them to make the first move. God didn't wait for Cain, and neither should I. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you. He doesn't say the ball is on their court because they're the ones that messed up. He basically says, you are now having the opportunity to act like me, to be like me. That's heavy. That's like, wow, Lord. One thing is for me to finally accept the reality. Man, I shouldn't have said that to my husband or my wife or my parents or my child. I, I was a, not a good Christian when I said those things. I need to go and apologize. It's a very different thing when someone else does that to you. And now you are being called to go and reconcile to them. You know, that is impossible. It's not, it's hard, it's difficult. It is 
impossible. It is impossible for me to do that, and that's the truth. And it is impossible for you to do that as well. None of us are nice enough to do that. It is a miracle, a miracle of the grace of God. And for me, and for you, in order for us to live out Matthew 18, there must be a living, real connection right now with God. If any man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But if Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to be an agent of oneness and boy, is it uncomfortable. Not impossible if I am with Christ, but separated from him, oneness will never be achieved in my family, in my marriage, in my church. Why not put all the effort that I can muster to make sure that I abide in Christ and Christ in me, that I may bear much fruit in being an agent of unity for His glory. Thank you.